Attention. It's time to register for Elusian Live 2024, April 7th through 10th in San Antonio, Texas. Illuminate, innovate, inspire, explore higher education's greatest opportunities with future ready ideas, solutions, and best practices designed to drive transformation. Register now at elive.elusian.com. This conference is going to be epic. By now, you've heard me talk about Insights EDU in Phoenix, Arizona, February 20 through 22nd. Here's why I think you should join us at the Insights EDU conference. It's one of the few conferences focused on helping schools serve today's online and non-traditional students. If you're concerned at all about where your enrollments are going to come from in 2024 and beyond, and you should be concerned, you need to be at this conference. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code EDUP to save $50. Prepare to be astonished. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the EdUp Experience podcast, where we make education your business. This is Dr. Joe Salustio, and I've been, um, it's been a little bit before, uh, since, I should say, I have recorded here at my normal recording studio, standing up, talking to amazing leaders here in and around <coughs> higher education. We just returned from the Middle States Conference, uh, the Middle States Commission on Higher Education Conference in Philadelphia. See, I'm having trouble talking. It's been a little while. Uh, where I was able to interview about 10 people, uh, commissioners from Middle States. I had the president, uh, Heather Perfetti, Dr. Heather Perfetti, and the, uh, and the chair of the commission, uh, Davey Gilmore, on at the same time. That was a very interesting conversation about accreditation and higher education innovation. Um, just a lot of fun at the conference. And uh, just validating, right? You know, we do so many podcasts. You you probably wonder why, uh, if you're sitting out there, why we do so many podcasts here at the Edup Experience. How could we possibly do that many? And who could possibly listen to that many? Well, I don't know the answer, but I do know that there are so many interesting people to talk to that don't get a chance to get the mic as much as others. And so we like to spread the mic love around and get people on this podcast who have something important to say. Now, somebody with something important to say, we just don't know how relevant is it is when he says it, is my guest co-host. Um, you'll know him when you hear him. And uh, he's done a thing or two in his 40 <laughs> years across higher education. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Guru Education. He's Dr. Bill Peppicello. Bill, welcome back. It's been a while. It has, Joe. Thanks. Uh, good to be back with you. And uh Maybe I can teach you something this time. Said like a guru. Bill, how's retirement treating you? Are you finding nothing to do? Uh, well, you know, uh, retirement agrees with me because uh, I'm basically a pretty lazy guy. And aside from the fact that uh, I do some work on my own podcast, Head Up Insights, which comes out every Monday, and a little work on my book called Leadership on Field of Play, which is available at Amazon. Um, you know, I follow... Uh, following your escapades all over the world. I, I There's nothing, Bill, like you getting comfortable to make your own selfish plugs here on the Edup Experience podcast. You know I appreciate you doing so. <laughs> Everybody should check out Edup Insights because I'll tell you guys what, and I, I mean it, it is one of the very few higher ed ins, uh, podcasts that I listen to. Of course, I listen to the Edup Experience, but it would be really horrible if that was the only thing I listened to myself talk, right? Then people would question my uh, my character. So I listen to Bill. Uh, and I listen of, uh, about your experience in higher ed 
And I listened to the amazing people we have come to this podcast, and we've got another one for you today. Um, a little known fact, uh, well, I'll get him on first, then I'll tell him. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is. His name is Dr. Pano Conalos. He is the president of the University of Austin. Pano, how are you? I'm doing great. I don't often get applause at the beginning of a podcast. I love it. It is actually truly amazing that on your first day in your brand new offices that you have a crowd waiting for yeah. you to give you applause. Uh, Pano, so a uh, little known fact, I saw your name and I said, uh, a Greek, he's got a Greek name, Konalos, that's like his Greek. And I, and I immediately, my middle name, Kostandinos, comes right out of me. So, you know, I'm, I'm half Greek, so uh -huh. I have great appreciation. I can recognize a Greek name, I think. Um, and I spent a lot of time in Greece, actually, over the last you know, 10 or 15 years, which is like my favorite place in the world to visit. So um, anyway, connection now will be friends forever because we're Absolutely. at the Greek heritage behind us. Tell us, uh, how are you? How are things going? You're starting a brand new university, which, by the way, doesn't happen in higher ed very often, does it? And you could probably, if you think back and you're listening to this podcast, what was the last brand new university you could think of? Um, it'll take you all a while. Uh, so this doesn't happen often, Pano. How, tell us about the University of Austin and let's go from there. Absolutely, well, thanks for having me on today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, and to just to start off with, a, a, you know, to kind of put in perspective how infrequently new universities are founded. We are the first new private university in the state of Texas since 1963. Mm -hmm. And put that in perspective, Texas had 10 million people in 1963, and now it has over 30 million people. Yet it's taken 60 years for a new uh, institution to take shape here, a new private school. I mean, there've been some public institutions that have cropped up since then. But so, you know, that just sort of, I think, um, helps people understand not only how rare new institutions are, but um, maybe they'll get a sense of how challenging it is to start a new institution, especially, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we're in Texas where everybody's building everything all the time and yet new universities, um, not so much. So excited to be here. University of Austin is a project that started two years ago. Um, November 8th, 2021, we announced that we were building a, a brand new university in Austin, Texas, dedicated to the fearless pursuit of truth. And uh, exactly two years later, November 8th, 2023, we announced that we were opening applications for our first freshman class to begin in 2024. So, you know, we sort of compressed the work that might take, you know, five years, a decade in terms of planning and preparation, in terms of getting a new in-person four-year university started into two years, and we're off to the races. Um, amazing, congratulations. Um, I, actually, hold on. Amazing. See, it's better when somebody else says it. Um, but uh, so when you think about, somebody comes to you and says, what business do you think you should start, right? That would be relatively easy and or, or reasonable or not hard you'd pick basically any other business than a university I, I don't even think that most people would ever dream that it would be possible to start a university it just sounds hard it's probably even harder than it sounds why was this so necessary pano to start a new university i mean 
going in with it, you have to have some reason. It has to have some, your, your, your vision, your mission has to be so strong because you've got to command market share. You've got to get all of these federal agencies behind you and state agencies. And why was this so important to you and to those uh, uh, others that you grouped up with at the beginning? You know, I think it's, I mean, at a personal level, it was important to me because university, the world of universities has been transformational for me personally. I mean, I, I'm a first generation college student. You know, my parents were uh, from an immigrant family from Greece, as we, we uh, talked about earlier. Uh, you know, my dad was in the restaurant business. You know, when they're when you're Greek and you move to the United States, they hand you the keys to a restaurant when you get off the boat. So, yeah, by the way, was... Gus's fish fry was my family uh, restaurant. <laughs> there my, you go, my grandfather Gus. Yeah, a pointy case. Uh, but the the you know the the reason it was so important to me personally is that I've experienced firsthand how transformative higher education can be, and feel like I owe a debt to um, higher education to the university system that has uh, allowed me to go in the course of, you know, a few decades from being, you know, like a kid in the back of my dad's Greek diner to being a college president. And part of the reason I think that that was possible was because, you know, universities are a unique feature of, uh, of the American legacy of the American landscape. I mean, we're a nation that builds, we're a nation that creates new things. We're a nation that tackles problems by creating new institutions. And that's really the spirit behind the University of Austin. I would say, you know, we, those of us who founded the university, believe that we are at an inflectional moment in, in American history, that we're at a time where things seem to be falling apart and the best possible response is to build, to create new things. And that, that higher education should be at the forefront of that, that, you know, that there was a time when, you know, if you think about the 4,000 odd colleges and universities that dot the landscape of the United States, they were all built at some point. And there was a time in our history when we were a growing nation, bursting at the seams with energy, thinking positively about the future, that universities were a natural part, a natural extension of that, of that growth, of that future looking, um, you know, hopeful spiritedness. So we're trying to capture some of that now. We think this is the time to build, it's time to create and to take the opportunity to rethink some of the features of universities. We do that, the financial model, the curricular model, the commitments we have to first principles. So it just, it, it, it more than anything, this is a project just built in the, it's sort of built by the impulse to, uh, to contribute, to be additive to the American experience. Tell them like it is. All right, Bill, we've been waiting for you. Oh, Don't ruin it by asking a bad question, man. I've got a million questions on each yeah. of your statements. Actually, before <clears throat> you go, Bill, I have a couple more questions. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead, man. I like to mess no, with him, Pano, a little bit. Yeah, he will. I'm going to start by saying that I've got a strong connection with you and that you were president of St. John. And about a decade ago, I was at the uh, Harvard Graduate School of Education for the Ask With seminars there. And I spoke with the, uh, the then president, uh, Christopher Nelson was right. his name. Yep. And we talked about um, old school, which was him, and new school, 
which in those days was me. Now I'm sort of just there. Um, so I'm really interested in, in seeing where you're going with University of Austin, because as a, as a liberal arts guy, all the online stuff aside, what I see happening with what you're doing is almost an, if you build it, they will come philosophy. Because right now you said you, you know you have the, the the fearless pursuit of truth, and I want to ask you what does that mean? Truth in today's society is really a moving, malleable target, and how are you going to navigate getting to that truth given the the political atmosphere and the economic atmosphere that that surrounds us? How is that, Joe? Uh, well, you asked five questions in there, so you got to just, you know, head your bet. <laughs> let, me, let, let me start with the last one there, and then we can circle back around if I can, if you'll remind me of the earlier ones. Um, look, I, look the, the purpose of universities has always been singular, and that is the discovery of knowledge, the transmission of knowledge, and the preservation of knowledge. That's why we create these institutions. I mean, this is, and this is why they're, they're so important civilizationally. I mean, this is the depository of our thinking is in universities. And, and so making sure that we're fulfilling the core mission of a university, the discovery of knowledge, transmission of knowledge, preservation of knowledge is, should be the top priority of, of any institution of higher learning. Um, truth. I mean, here's, here are two possible, let's call them um, pitfalls that one can face uh, when, when thinking about the truth and thinking about institutions dedicated to the pursuit of truth. On the one hand, many individuals, many institutions are seem to be sliding into kind of, let's call it the habit of relativism. The idea that there just isn't any such thing as truth, right? That it doesn't exist. Everything's kind of personal interpretation. It's all about power struggles and that. And you know, and so on the one hand, if 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 truth is completely relative, then there's no point to having a university, right? Well, how can you institutionalize the pursuit of truth if there's no such thing as truth? Okay, that's that's on one side. On the other side is let's call it a kind of commitment to ideology. The idea that yeah, there are things that are true, and we we've actually discovered exactly what they are, and therefore we just have to kind of implement. Like it's it's about taking action on some things that are irrefutably true. And you know whatever the politics behind it are, there's a sort of ideology that is fixed in place, and universities have to avoid that as well, right? Because universities cannot be committed either to the relativist dismissal of truth, or to the notion that everything we need to know has already been discovered, and now we just have to implement some sort of program or agenda that comes from that. The purpose of a university is to sail between. The, as a classicist, you'll get the reference between the scylla of relativism and the charybdis yeah. of ideology. That's the purpose uh -huh. of a university. Yeah, I picked it up too. Well, you're Greek, so you get that too. Yep. Uh, so, and, and so I'd say that that's, that's what the fearless pursuit of truth is, to pursue something that is, you know, is radically important. Human beings are truth-seeking creatures. To pursue that knowing that we may never fully be able to discern what is true, but still being propelled to move towards that North Star. That's a fact. That's a fact.
Well, let me uh, just follow on that because uh, what you just said sort of explains the philosophy behind the forbidden courses, which um, as I was uh, perusing your website, jumped out at me. Surprise! Um, yeah. <laughs> as a classicist, I had pictures of Pandora um, <clears throat> opening that box. But how does how does that pursuit of truth um, explain the, the, the concept of the forbidden courses? Because I think it's fascinating. Yeah, so the forbidden courses, just background for the listeners, um, the last two summers, you know, as we've been sort of preparing to open the university formally, we've been running courses, non-credit courses, and we decided to offer courses during the summer to students at other universities to come invite them to come do seminars with us on topics that were pretty hot to handle, you know, whether it's things around gender or race or empire, and, you know, try to demonstrate that we can actually have civil discussions, complex, nuanced civil discussions about very difficult things by getting the broadest range of opinions around the table and then um, sorting out how we can speak to one another in a productive way. And the reason we call them the forbidden courses, I mean, it's kind of cheeky. We wanted to attract young people. You tell them it's forbidden, they're going to they're gonna be Heck a good yeah. But it's not so much that you can't take a course on empire university. Um, but the way that we often approach these topics in universities, in university settings is prescribed. Or the way I might put it is the aperture for discussion is really rather narrow. I mean, if you're really going to get to the heart of the matter around questions that you know strike at the core of what it means to be a human being, you have to allow for the broadest possible range of discussion, which means you have to allow for things to be said that might be uncomfortable for some people around the table. You have to allow people to, to say things that are bold and make mistakes, to take intellectual risks. Maybe they're wrong, but you have to provide a forum for that. So for us, it was more about creating um, an atmosphere of free and open inquiry trying together to bring people together to pursue this thing called truth. And I will say it's radically successful. I mean, we had, you know, I mean, thousands of applications from students at universities across the world to fill the first summer only 80 spots, the second summer 120. Um, students from many of the most prestigious universities coming to us saying, you know, I came because, you know, I'm coming from University X. And I've always wanted to have this kind of discussion, but it hasn't been available to me at my own institution. And so I want, so I'm taking that opportunity to do this here. So for us, the pursuit of truth is a is a kind of dangerous thing, and that's why you have to be fearless. So One go ahead, Bill. I'll throw, back, I, I'll throw it back to you in a minute. I just because he, uh, brought up something about people applying from all over. How do they apply? How many applied to the to the forbidden courses? To, to the university in general. Oh, okay. Well, we so we just opened applications for our first undergraduate class, as I said, on November 8th. And this class, by the way, you know, it's our first class. So we're keeping it tight, calling them the Brave 100, the 100 founding students are going to come help us found a new university. So we wanted to keep the class small. So we have 100 spots. We've raised uh, full tuition scholarships for all of 100 students. Um, in the very first day on November 8th, when we announced at 9.30 in the morning that we were opening applications, 
We were served, received our first application at 9.31 a.m. <laughs> Southwest check-in. Exactly. That's a great analogy. I would use yeah. that. And, and by the end of the day, we had more applications and spots in the first class and the first, the first, you know, by the close of business that day, so not even 24 hours. And here's the thing, we were going to the challenge of starting a new university. We were not allowed to do any marketing, do any advertising, reach out to any prospective student before that date. So this was a cold open, all right, because you can't tell students that you're going to um, accept applications for university until you receive authorization from your state to do so. So as soon as we received authorization, we turned around and started applications. So we had a cold opening. We just, you know, these are, we just put on our website, we're opening applications and we had no idea. I thought it was going to be crickets. And now I think, you know, in less than a month, I think we're approaching 500 applications. Um, I, I could be plus or minus a hundred. I don't remember. I haven't been tracking it the past week. Um, so, you know, we anticipate, you know, being by the time we're done with our application cycle, um, being probably one of the most highly selective colleges in the country this year. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. For a third straight year, the Edup Experience will be recording live at Elysian Live 2024 this year in San Antonio, Texas, April 7th through the 10th. Illuminate, innovate, and inspire. That's the framework for the conference. Leaders from institutions around the world will converge at Lucian Live 2024 to discover game-changing technology, share industry insights, and build powerful connections. It's time to explore higher education's greatest opportunities with future-ready ideas, solutions, and best practices designed to drive transformation. You can register now at elive.elucian.com. Epic. Oh, yeah. You've heard me talk about the Insights EDU conference. Well, let me tell you three reasons why I think everyone listening should join us in Phoenix, Arizona on February 20 through 22nd for Insights EDU. One, it's one of the few conferences focused on helping schools serve today's online and non-traditional students. Two, you can expect a mix of speakers you won't hear anywhere else, including higher ed leaders from Google, LinkedIn, Adobe, and more. And reason three, Insights EDU has an agenda packed with sessions discussing the latest trends in higher ed leadership, marketing, and enrollment management. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code EDUP to save $50 off your registration. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, so it takes dollars, Pano, to do this. Right. I, mean, I want to gloss over that fact because um, everybody out there is going, how do you even start a new university? I mean, you have to raise money. You have accreditation that you have to file for. You got to file this. You got to file that. Every time somebody wants you to file a document, you got to pay for it. You guys raised enough money to cover the first cohort, $130,000 scholarships for all of the students who are going to come in the first class. How does this happen? Who do you pull together? Is it like a you know, a crowdsourcing? Is it a, you know, a, um, um, uh, I don't know, like a referral-based network of people who want to disrupt the market? You know, how, how do you sell this to those, uh, to those individuals who, you know, have the dollars and cents to make a difference here? Um, well, you know, as, as you know, every dollar that goes to university is a philanthropic dollar. So nobody expects any kind of return on investment. Or if they have, if there's an ROI, the return is is something about 
making the world better in in a way that's important to them. So that's the return. Yeah. So the way that you make the case is by making the case that a new university, especially one constituted the way that we're constituted, um, is adding something of value to, to the world. We have, as of now, two years into this project, we've raised over $200 million. Wow. And have over 2,600 donors, including at last count, 111 at what we call the founders level. Founders are donors who have made significant gifts, six figures plus. Um, so there are a lot of people out there who are persuaded that the best thing that can happen to higher education is for new institutions to take hold. That is amazing. There's a reason for that, right? So th think about the the dynamic here. So I'm, I'm maybe one of your 101 donors or, or 2,600 donors. I've probably given to higher education before, right? It's pro I probably have. I Maybe I've given to another institution, my alma mater, you know, maybe in a significant way. I'm going to move my dollars over here to the University of Austin. The reason for me to move my dollars, to be convinced to move some or at least a part of them, is that this new university is needed or that there's something missing with our current universities today. What is the University of Austin's gap that it's filling? Is it the uh, is it that pursuit of truth where we're going to be able to have the hardest conversations that nobody else is willing to have? Because the funny thing about universities, and you know this, Pony, you, re you read the news and watch the news the last couple of days. The number one thing, the universities are in the news. We're in the news, uh, universities, and no one's talking about education. We're talking about wars. We're talking about gender. We're talking about identities and we're talking about mental health but not about like academics and you know graduating or enrolling it's like everything else other than what the core of a university does anyway long-winded question to come back around and say why would i move my dollars why have you seen those dollars decide to come over to university of austin um i think that's sort of like, i give a sort of two-pronged answer to that um the first i would say is an answer about principles so look we we are standing up robustly for let's call it intellectual pluralism. The idea that in a liberal democratic society, we have to be as intellectually pluralistic as possible. And um, I think for a good number of people, they feel whether it's justified or not, it's a different question, but they feel that many institutions of higher learning um, have you know, allowed politics to seep in to the, the bloodstream of the institution whatever your politics might be that and and that somehow this compromises the operations of the of the university in pursuit of truth so an institution that is um, purposefully dedicated to intellectual pluralism to civil discourse to open inquiry i think that you know i think this is putting planting your flag there i think has has been a very powerful uh, thing for for many people to respond to um and then the other is on the kind of, let's call it curricular level. Um, you know, this goes back to, I think one of the embedded questions that Bill asked earlier about what, how, how, how we're handling the liberal arts question that, you know, we believe absolutely that a liberal education, liberal arts education is essential to, to a transformative experience in higher education. But we also believe that you have to learn how to convert thought into action. 
theory into practice. So how do you take a liberal arts education as it's found as a foundation, one that is, you know, steeped in, you know, literature and philosophy and the arts and the fundamentals of mathematics and the sciences and discussion and the great human questions. How do you take that and also provide an education that will allow um, young people to graduate and flourish by doing things in the world, being active and being builders and creators and, and that sort of thing. So for us, that's, I would say, kind of our special sauce is a kind of synthesis of the foundational liberal arts education, which lives primarily in our first two years and what we call the Intellectual Foundations Program, which is a single curated program that all of our students take that's kind of like St. John's College, totally, you know, dedicated to the pursuit of the great human questions. And then move them on after that into what we call our centers for academic inquiry, which are really places where scholars and real world practitioners come together to solve problems. So students go from the intensely liberal arts experience to being a junior fellow at one of these centers that, um, that are focused really on applying knowledge to problem solving in the world for the common good. Well, I, I know you have uh, passed muster with the uh, Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board. Um, kudos. That is, that is one of the most difficult asks uh, known to man, and I've done it, so so I know. Um, and I know you're now looking at, um, uh, at initial accreditation. But what I want to talk about a little bit, I mean, I, I understand what you want to do, clearly. Um, but... How are you how will you go about it is sort of my next question. The first two years are a program, but to put on my accreditation hat, well, is it is it credit hours? Is it courses? How do you know when you're done? Um, and where do you go from there? Yeah. I mean, I wish there was a more creative way to, to answer that question, but it's really kind of conventional. I mean, you know. In order to be authorized to be a university in Texas, we have to have a credit hour based system. So we have a, we're, we're on trimesters, three semesters, so it's 180 credit hours. And you know we divided those into these different formative experiences. So the intellectual foundations, which is really, it really meets all of the criteria to uh, for a general education sort of component of a degree. But you know rather than have a G component where students are sort of you know, arbitrarily sort of bundling together a bunch of courses. This is a single bespoke program that goes through the general education requirements. And then after that, there are, you know, branches that go into the social sciences, humanities and STEM disciplines, each with their own kind of core uh, set of core courses. And then, you know, kind of wrapped around that are, is, a, is a lot of, um, it's called experiential learning that's tied to the extended courses that they take. So it, you know, it's, you know, we, we can't break the 180 credit or 120 credit delivery system model um, and be accredited and be authorized. But my approach though was that, so I'm gonna say something controversial, forgive me if you disagree with me, but I actually think that the American undergraduate experience is too long. I think one of the reasons higher education is so expensive is because we have a fourth year of it. 
And then, you know, if we had a three-year undergrad degree model, it would radically reduce the cost of higher education. I also think from my experience, having run colleges, having been a dean, having been a faculty member, that at least a quarter of what you do at most colleges could be excised without any loss. Um, so when we were looking at our own curricular system, I'm like, okay, we're, we, have a, we have to do a four-year model, we have no choice. How do we essentially pack two different full and comprehensive university experiences into one degree to maximize the value of that? So that was the, the approach that we took. It will be interesting to see, by the way, because you know there's two universities out there that have gotten an, a 90 credit hour bachelor's degree approved. Uh, and I would love to see, I'm throwing it out there for all of my accreditation folks that I know listen, I'd love to see a new university like University of Austin be able to do something like that because it would really tell us the value, you know, rather than a university with 150 years old, 150, 200 years old, doing it because they think that way or a new university going into it that way, it would tell a different story. I, I, I agree with you, Pano, a lot on that fourth year. I, look, I, I, I would be thrilled to do that. I've just, you know, we can only ruffle so many feathers at once. And so, uh, so you know, we're going we're gonna to go with the more conventional path. And I'll say, like, look, it, it seems to me axiomatic that if graduate degrees can be of varying lengths, why can't undergraduate degrees? Why aren't there so certain courses of study that undergraduates take that should be shorter, longer, depending upon what you're studying? Um, so being able to experiment with these things, and I'd love to do this in the future, but I think we've got to get our sea legs under us first. Pano, yeah. I got to ask I, you this, I, Bill. I've taken over. I got to ask one more, and then you can have the rest. I'm going to ask you a question that you ask yourself, that you have, you've asked yourself, or somebody that put together your website asked it. And it kind of goes like this. Land? Brick and mortar? Are you serious? Isn't everything online now, Pano? Um, okay, I'm mindful of the fact that I'm talking to somebody uh, affiliated in, in, in a former incarnation with the University of Phoenix. So uh, <laughs> so it makes it so much fun. So, uh, and, and because I'm an, uh, sort of uh, an, an, a person who hates to, to disappoint people, I won't say anything along, I won't, I won't discredit online education. But what I would say is this, for what we're trying to achieve, which is not simply to offer degrees, but to create you know, the most rigorous, intensive undergraduate experience to prepare the next generation of leaders and builders and innovators. Um, I really feel like that experience can only be intensified if it's done in person. Um, so do I think there's room in in education for online classes, programs, and that, yes. Um, but I think they're, they're for the sort of thing that we're trying to achieve, to take essentially 18-year-olds, maybe not exclusively, but essentially 18-year-olds, and transition them into being highly effective, flourishing, powerfully prepared adults. To me, um, in-person education is essential. Great answer. Thanks. Bill. Well, thanks for that uh, very rude interruption because you uh, saved me from having to ask that question uh, and, uh, and raising the online hackle. But what, you know, one of the things that people don't know, I know Joe knows this for sure, is that University of Phoenix actually began face-to-face. Uh, -face. 
And at its height, well, I oversaw more than 200 physical campuses where we had hundreds of thousands of students. And eventually a lot of those migrated online, but face-to-face -face was, was where we started. Um, and I, I couldn't agree more about, especially the first two years of what you're talking about, Pano, because what you're, what you're talking about is a, a sort of a, a decompartmentalizing uh, of education and particularly of liberal arts or general ed and making it a, an integrated body of knowledge, which is what it should be. And I think if it's presented that way, that strengthens your argument that you don't you don't need as much of the all the stuff around it. Um, you know, you you can cast off some of the administrative chains, uh, which I think you're you're going a long way uh, towards doing. And frankly, and um, if you ever get a chance to listen to my podcast, Out of Insights, which is out every Monday, um, I talk about this a lot. <laughs> Somewhere, Joe is shaking his head. Um, because I, I strongly believe that part of the problem with the, the first two years and general education and the liberal arts is that we've made it cumbersome. I mean, it, it, you know, what is there, and I'll go to, to Joe's marketing background, that's sexy about the term liberal arts or general education. It sounds like, oh my God, it's like going to the dentist. What you're putting together something that makes it all relevant. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, I, I couldn't support that more. And I, I certainly would support a shorter time to degree. And I, Joe and I have discussed this uh, on many occasions. So I think that's that's really terrific. And the face-to-face -face aspect, which again is reminiscent of St. John's, um, do you ever see the, a migration to, a, to an online component? I, I don't for the core undergraduate experience, um, but I certainly think in the at the graduate level, as sort of a, you know adult education level, possibly even um, we're thinking about dual credit at the high school level. So I can see I can see online extending out from the kind of core, you know, the core programs, but um, but no for you know as I said before for the kind of for what we're hoping to accomplish with the undergraduate program, uh, I don't really see significant online possibilities unless they're radically supplemental, just small things on the side. Well, I think I surprised Christopher Nelson when we were at the Harvard Graduate School because I, I didn't disagree with that at all. Um, I sort of had the, the opposite approach that you did. And what I had to say was, I think that face-to-face instruction is absolutely essential um, and that there's a place for both going forward but it needs to be done in a, in a rational way um, which I think a I lot think of this, people haven't done. This is such a good discussion because it's about value proposition right part of the value proposition of University of Austin is going to be we're going to do it face to face we're going to do it old school we're going to put you in a room together and you're going to have to figure out your differences and that's part of what makes that education special and I think on the other side for you know uh, as online education expanded for adult learners in particular that's a different story we're talking about two different in many respects two different students um, and I, th I, I think um, your university could be a lightning rod for oh man I wish 
I wish I had a university like that when I was choosing, or I want somewhere where I can go and have this tough conversation that I'm being told I can't have somewhere else. Why can't I take a class challenging these assumptions of things that have to be because somebody says they have to be that way now? Why, wh wh where's, the, you know, so the, the pursuit of truth is an important part of this, um, which is why I'm assuming no religious affiliation, uh, specifically devoted to fact and truth. And that's going to be an important part of the value proposition, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I would put those two things together, that a religious affiliation is automatically against fact or truth. Um, well, I put Bill on a podcast with me, so I like to put two things together that don't fit very, real well. So, um, But but yes, we have a totally secular university. And what I'd say is, you know, one of our operating principles, for example, in the classroom is that every opinion must be heard but every opinion must also be backed up by evidence. So evidence-based reasoning, right, um, I think is, is critical. And I think this is, um, maybe this is, this kind of harkens back to the, to the online in-person question. Um, if the mode is in, of instruction is essentially passive, right? So, you know, a lecture, you're gonna get a whole bunch of people in a room and you're gonna lecture them, you're gonna talk at them, then the difference between online and in-person is nominal, right? <laughs> like then, you know, and, and there's room in the world for lectures. I mean, I listen to lectures on, all the time online. I actually love it. But for what we're, what we're talking about, especially in our intellectual foundations program, is education as conversation. In other words, education as a kind of network of human dialogue and ideas. And for that, you really have to be able to understand one another with nuance in a kind of personal way that opens up the possibility of conversations that go deeper, that go below the surface. And yeah, you know, look, I don't, I don't think any university should be all about talking about controversial ideas all the time. I mean, that's that's not the point of university. But a point, but a university that's capable of having adult and productive conversations about controversial or difficult things is capable of having an adult and productive intellectual life, right? So you don't have to always be talking about gender. You could be talking about Elizabethan poetry, all right? Sometimes we talk too much about the controversial stuff in our culture and we forget about other things that matter. Um, but even by, by becoming the kind of person who can you know, sit across the table from somebody else and listen, respond thoughtfully, offer your ideas fearlessly, have, you know, I'm often asked what we're, what we're looking for in students. And I say, we're looking for three qualities. Uh, you know, we're in Texas now, so it sounds like a country music song. Our qualities are, <laughs> are grace, grit, and gratitude, right? If you can bring those qualities to the table, all right, then, then the world of ideas can flourish and you can learn and grow and you can also teach. You, you know, you, it becomes a kind of virtuous kind of conduit of ideas being shared and expanded upon, enhanced and embraced by everybody involved. That's, that's true education. I mean, this is, you know, that's the heart of it. Not that, it's not about the, the accumulation of information. It's not about, I mean, we could do that with our cell phones anytime. I can look up anything I need to know in the world right now. It's not about accessing information. It's about intellectual transformation. In other words, making yourself a better thinker, a more critical thinker, 
a better human being, a more critical human being. That's what education is. All right. Well, we're, we're at time. Um, and Bill likes to ask five part questions, so I can't give him another one. So I'm going to just finish up here. Uh, Bill, anything else you want to add before we go? I just want to summarize something from my perspective, and then I'll turn it back to you. And I promise I will not ask a question. This is pure commentary. Um, what I see Pano doing at University of Boston is there are two things. First, providing a base from which we can discuss the, the, the controversial um, cultural drift that's going on in the, in the United States right now and, and sort of staying above the fray in that way and coming down into the fray only to serve as sort of moderators or arbitrators of, of what's going on and bringing some sort of sense uh, of direction to it. There, I'm done, Joe. No, that's great. And Pano, we, we really appreciate your, uh, your feedback. We hope you had a good time today at the very least as you uh, talk about University of Austin. I love it. Not only were there applause, there were gongs and other things along the way. So that was, <laughs> that was excellent. Now, this was a great conversation, guys. I really appreciate it. And, and I, I, I love that you guys are out there in the public as well, talking about these things persistently. It's, I mean, there's nothing more important than education. So thank you. Thank you, sir. And congratulations to you and staff uh, for your first official day in your new offices. Mm -hmm. What a great uh, milestone. Uh, now you get to decorate and, and have a home. Um, so it's becoming real. It becomes real for the leaders, for the staff, and will soon become real for the students. I encourage everybody to check out University of Austin at uAustin.org. I think that guy, I got that right. Um, and uh, check out Pano. You can find him on LinkedIn, anywhere else. Uh, before I go, my guest co-host, ladies and gentlemen, you know him. He's a guru of online learning. He's Bill Pepicello. Um, and Bill, thank you again for coming back and helping me. Thanks, Joe. Always a pleasure to be with you. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest, he is your guest. His name is Dr. Pano Canelos. He is the president of the University of Austin, UATX. We love it uh, that you came here to tell your story, Pano. Um, we hope you had a good time, and thanks for coming. Thank you, guys. Great conversation. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just had upped. Attention. It's time to register for Elusian Live 2024, April 7th through 10th in San Antonio, Texas. Illuminate. Innovate inspire explore higher education's greatest opportunities with future ready ideas solutions and best practices designed to drive transformation register now at elive.elucian.com this conference is going to be epic hey there higher ed leaders are you thinking about joining the edup experience podcast at insights edu on february 20th through 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona? 100%. I thought so. This is the go-to event for higher education marketing and enrollment management. At Insights EDU, you'll gain cutting-edge insights from industry experts, including speakers from companies like Google, LinkedIn, Adobe, Salesforce, and more. Become the transformational leader your campus needs by participating in discussions on important topics like online student demands and preferences, increasing affordability and accessibility, branding, measuring marketing performance, and much more. Insights EDU is the conference you need to attend in 2024. Register now at insightsedu.com and use the code EDUP to save $50 off your registration.